welcome you to be seated. Well, there are many who can preach better than I can, but there is no one who will ever be able to tell you better news than what I have to tell you tonight. The good news that's contained Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 4 is this, that Jesus Christ has a banqueting house and that Jesus Christ brings sinners into that banqueting house and that when he brings them there, he unfurls above their heads the banner of his love. We'll consider then this banqueting house under three headings. First, the house. Second, the guide. And third, the banner. As we do so, remember that there is a house above that we're speaking of. A father's house, a place where Jesus now is, having risen from the dead and having ascended up into heaven. We're speaking about heaven when we're speaking about this house. But then there are the things upon the earth that are like this house, that are foretastes of it. God's house is a house of worship, and he has given one ordinance of worship that is a feast, which is the supper of our Lord, which he has called us unto. Consider with me then, first of all, the house. Our text says that he brought me to the banqueting house. First of all, emphasize that word banqueting. The banqueting house. Literally, the Hebrew says, he brought me to the house of wine. Christ has wine in his house for sinners. In fact, sometimes such abundance that they say, my cup runneth over. Jesus Christ has sweet experiences for his child to be tasted. Because a house of wine has something that can be tasted. He doesn't say a house of food, though, of course, Jesus Christ is our food. He is the bread that came down from heaven. He's speaking of wine. Wine is that which pleases the palate and which warms and refreshes the innermost parts. Jesus Christ has a banqueting house. He has benefits in his house that gladden and that refresh the heart. Make sure that when you think about the Lord's Supper, that you don't go just thinking, well, I'm going to go and it's going to be, I'm going to be seen there in Christ's banqueting house. Perhaps there's a fine restaurant and perhaps people get all dressed up and they go out to the fine restaurant And they look at each other when one or another person walks in and they see and they are seen. Why are they really there? Maybe some people don't come to taste something, but to be seen. Make sure that that's not you when it comes to the Lord's Supper. There's something to be tasted by spiritual sense and perception. What is it that Christ gladdens and refreshes his saints with at his table. Well, there are three great benefits of justification, adoption, and sanctification, 
All of them are heart-refreshing and heart-gladdening benefits. In justification, when Christ at his table seals to his believing child the benefit of justification, this is very gladdening and heart-refreshing. Because then the believer knows that there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. And that is a heartwarming and heart-refreshing cordial. Because then the believer thinks it's true that I'm most unworthy. It's true that there's a long record of sins on my part. It's true that there's yet a sinful nature within that's going to produce more transgressions. But yet, God, for Christ's sake, he has removed from me, as far as the east is from the west, all my transgressions from me. When is the last time that you have had a new sense of your justification sealed to you? Seek that. Christ has that for you in his banqueting house. What about adoption? This has to do with a relationship. It has to, be, has to do with being made a child of God, of having a father's love and having all of God's wisdom exercised for you to teach you, all of his power exercised for you to protect you. It has to do with the spirit of adoption being given to you so that you may cry, Abba, Father, so that the innermost yearning of your soul is turned towards God himself and that you are enabled to approach him with boldness and access as a child to his father, confident that you won't be turned away. Adoption has to do with all providences proceeding to you from love, not proceeding as the whipping upon the back of a slave, but proceeding to you even when they're hard as the strokes of a father who loves you. When is the last time? that you have had a sense of your adoption sealed to your heart. Oh, seek that from Christ. Say to him, give me a drink of that wine, of the knowledge of my adoption in your banqueting house, O Lord. And then there's sanctification, and that's a wonder too. In justification, the criminal who has transgressed He is pardoned before his judge. In sanctification, God, by his Holy Spirit, comes within, mortifies sin, and the believer works mysteriously with God, mortifying as the Spirit enables, and grace is brought to life. The Spirit comes and stirs up afresh faith, strengthening weak faith to become strong and strengthening charity, love to God and men. There is a springtime of the soul that comes with the influences of God, the Holy Spirit. The image of God himself is redrawn upon the soul. This is what Christ is willing to do for you. When have you last had it sealed to you that Christ is willing to sanctify me and he's going about that work? This is the refreshing cordial that Jesus Christ has for sinners in his house, which is a banqueting house. And above all, and in all these things, what is happening 
when Christ refreshes the soul in his banqueting house. Above all, it is communion with God himself that is the great refreshing thing that the believer receives. You'll remember how Paul says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, with being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is more exhilarating than wine, more refreshing, and it never leads to derangement and drunkenness. But, see, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a matter of communion with God. It is God himself coming to fill the believer. And that's the only thing that can satisfy. Because when the appetites have been turned away from the world to God himself, the only thing that will be banqueting to the believer, is God himself. Christ has a banqueting house. And when you enter his banqueting house, you need to do so in remembrance of him, just like he said. We're hearing tonight about a house of wine. What did Christ have? What cup did he have? He had the cup of the wrath of God. He said, the cup that my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? From man, he had a sponge full of vinegar and of gall, the bitter taste. Sin is a bitter thing. Jesus Christ experienced bitterness, wrath, and curse. And this is the one who has for you, sinner, a banqueting house. And let's not neglect to point out that it is a house. When we move from verse 3 to verse 4, there's an increase of communion. First of all, the spouse is sitting down under an apple tree, and then she is brought into the house. A house tells us something about permanence, because when you're in the house, you abide there and you stay there. There was a king named Zimri, who was God's instrument for destroying the house of Basha. But he had a very short time in the house, in the king's palace. He reigned for seven days. And then he realized that his end was coming, and he burned down the house around him. His house became a preview of hell. However, Christ has a house, and once he brings you into that house, that's where you will abide forever. And why is that? It's because this house is a marriage house. It's not the kind of... Yes, a banqueting house, but in our banquets, we could invite someone to our feast or to our banquet who then leaves and goes somewhere else because they have their own house. But notice that this is not just a banqueting house, but it's the banqueting house for the spouse of Jesus Christ. The son brings his spouse into the father's house. He joins her to him. In an everlasting covenant that can never be broken, he brings her into this house as the place where he will dwell with her, where he will hold communion with her. Now, this tells us that you should desire this house. All of us need to decide this evening which house we are going to seek. And there are some houses that are available in this life that look quite attractive. You can see some of them on Zillow, and you can hear about all their features and so on. And young girls here, you might be thinking about the house that you might have someday. You might be thinking about 
how fulfilling that will be. And you think about uh, maybe marrying a, a, a kind and generous man who will provide for you and the family that you will have and how your life will center around a house. However, we need to seek a better kind of house because these houses can be taken away from us and we can be taken out of those type of houses. But here is a house that has all satisfaction and all permanence. And so I would call upon you to seek this house above all things. Seek for yourself this satisfying and fulfilling and everlasting dwelling place. And in order to seek this banqueting house, there are things that we need to say no to. Because to seek one thing is to say no to another. Where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. And so think, if someone were to look upon your life from the outside, what would they conclude about the kind of house or dwelling that you are seeking? What, it, what kind of house is it that you give your thoughts to? What kind of house do you hear do you delight to hear described to you? Are you giving uh, the first love of your heart to seeking this house of Christ? Are you reading about it in his word? Are you coming hungrily under the word of God to seek to hear something about Christ's banqueting house? Desire this house. Here's another thing, which is to remember this house. We have a testimony in verse 4. It's the testimony of Christ's believing people. It's recording an experience. He brought me to the banqueting house. Here's something that's very important that believers can neglect, and that is to remember that you've been there. Can you say this tonight? He brought me to the banqueting house. Satan would like you to forget that you've been there. He will tell you that it was all a delusion and there can't possibly be such a place and certainly you can't ever have been there. Or if you had been there, then you surely wouldn't have sinned in the way that you had done uh, after you were there. But I want you, believer, to remember the banqueting house. This Song of Solomon does tell us that in the experience of communion with Christ, there are changes. There are periods of closeness. There are periods of distance. And that's part of what we experience if we belong to Christ. But the periods of distance and of seeking the beloved and not being able to find him don't mean that nothing was happening. No, there was something happening. Christ was drawing you near to himself. Remember to thank him for the intimacy that he has given in the past. Encourage yourself with that. Say to him, Lord, do this again. So we have, first of all, the house. Secondly, we have the guide. Thomas, is, Thomas wanted to know, how can we know the way? Jesus told him about a place and that he went to prepare the place. But Thomas wasn't sure how he would find the way to get to this place. I've been telling you about this wonderful house. And I actually hope that that's a question that you have. How can I get there? 
Because if you weren't to ask that question, then you would think, well, I'm already there, or I know, I know in myself perfectly well how to get there. But actually, you need Christ to bring you there. And so if this is your question, how can I get there? Then I have good news for you. Don't be afraid. Because here we have a promise that Jesus Christ brings sinners into this banqueting house. Here we have a guide who is an infallible guide. There is no one that Christ has ever gone about to bring to his banqueting house who has failed to arrive there. He receives the glory of leading people to that house. Now, he doesn't bring everyone to that house. Here is a personal experience. He brought me to the banqueting house. This is a special and particular guide who guides his sheep. He is the shepherd. And so never be content just to say, well, he brought someone else to the banqueting house. Never rest until you can say, he brought me to the banqueting house. Who are the ones that he brings to the banqueting house? Let me tell you some examples. The Lord Jesus Christ brings the prodigal to his banqueting house. That's amazing. And the elder brother could not understand how this would be true. What do I mean by the prodigal? That's someone who's far away from God. Someone who has indulged his lusts, indulged his sins, who has even sometimes outwardly squandered everything he has, who has come to the very bottom. Jesus Christ brings this kind of person to his banqueting house. Never was there a sinner so great, so vile, that Christ could not lead him into his banqueting house. Are you conscious of your sins tonight? That you've been, that you've served sinful lusts? Well, here is a guide for sinners. He brings sinners to his banqueting house. He also brings the downcast to his banqueting house. Psalms 42 and 43. Tell us about this. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? What was it that disquieted David's soul? It's that he wasn't at God's house of worship and he wanted to be there. There are times when the soul of a believer is downcast. There seem to be so many obstacles to ever enjoying communion with Jesus Christ again, like I once used to. And then the devil comes in with his fiery darts. Well, you'll never experience it again. It was all a dream, and it's, you can't attain unto it again. You've sinned too much against the Lord. He's too angry at you. He won't bring you back to his house again. But then the downcast soul there in those psalms, encourages himself, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Christ brings the downcast soul into his banqueting house. He takes the downcast soul by the hand and leads that one back into his banqueting house, overcoming all the discouragements, not for any worthiness, but for the sake of his mercy. Christ also brings the hungry into his banqueting house. Do we have 
any here tonight who are hungering and thirsting for our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we have any here tonight who have been giving time and giving their energy in order to cry to God for a taste of Jesus Christ? Well, that has been the Lord going ahead and preparing you beforehand. He has been creating desires for Christ himself. And he says that blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Christ brings the afflicted into his banqueting house. In fact, affliction is a door whereby Christ opens an opportunity for closer intimacy with himself. It is the believer who has experienced pain and bereavement and loss, grief, conflict, disappointment, that this soul then is prepared to find balm for its wounds in Jesus Christ. This soul is prepared to count Jesus Christ as everything. This soul is being led by Christ in a wonderful way because this soul is being made conformable unto our Lord Jesus Christ. He himself was a man of sorrows. He brings the afflicted into his banqueting house. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he brings the dying into his banqueting house. This is one of the times when Christ brings and leads the believer to his banqueting house. I can't describe it to you from experience, but we know that the soul of Lazarus was carried by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. We know that the dying thief was told, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, that it's better by far for the believer to depart from the body and to be with the Lord. We cannot describe to you the refreshment of one hour in the banqueting house after death is more than enough to carry away the memory of all the sorrows of a weary world. Christ brings the dying into his banqueting house. This guide, there is one thing that this guide will not do and never does. It says that he, that's Christ, he brought me to the banqueting house. One thing that Christ won't do is that he will not lead you to a place that is made for the satisfying of sinful lusts. That's not the kind of guide that Christ is. If what your heart desires is, oh, that someone would show me how to get my sinful lusts gratified, and if I could at the same time be protected and not have to bear the consequences, that's not what Christ does. He brings souls to a banqueting house of spiritual joys. In fact, there's nothing to gratify the flesh at all in Christ's banqueting house. The only thing that there is, is the glory of God in the face of Christ. In this house, there's only one dish. Christ is served up in all the benefits that refresh the soul of the believer. And is that what you want? Well, this is good news to the one who has a single heart. It also tells us something about why Christ leads to the banqueting house in the way that he does. 
you know that elsewhere he says that the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there be that find it. There are people who are squeezed, and they can't fit through the narrow way, and they turn back, and they give up, and they apostatize. Why is that? It's because the narrowness of the way shows the difference between Christ's wheat and the chaff. Christ leads souls to his banqueting house by a narrow way. He purifies the desires of the heart as he leads his people along through this present life because he's leading them to one kind of satisfaction only. He takes things away in order that we may lay hold of him by both hands. He leads you by the way that he himself went. Christ is not the kind of guide who would lead you along through a way that he doesn't know himself. In what way did Jesus Christ go to the Father's house where there are many mansions? Well, he went to heaven by way of the cross. We're remembering that. There's a banqueting house. But Jesus went there by suffering and dying. We're going to behold the tokens of his broken body and poured out blood. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died. And do you want to go to that banqueting house? Well, then you will need to suffer as he did. You will need to endure fires, afflictions, the reproach of the world and all of this. And Christ is the kind of guide who requires you to trust him. So he is the one who brings sinners into his banqueting house. And you have to sign yourself away from him if you want uh, to him, if you want him to be your guide. You see, if you come to Christ and you say, you know, I want access to the banqueting house and I'll follow you a certain distance. But if the way by which you're leading me doesn't seem right to me, then I'm going to turn around and run away. You can't do that. You cannot get to the banqueting house that way. Here's how you need to get to the banqueting house. Is that you need to believe that Jesus Christ, who, who went to the cross, that he's the perfect guide. And that you're not. And that you think you know the best way to get to the banqueting house. But actually you don't. Because by nature, you are blind and foolish just like me. But here is one who is wise. You need to trust him. Just you remember the Syrians, they were blinded. Elisha led them. You need, as it were, to blindly follow Christ, to say it strongly. Yes, he teaches us in his word. He doesn't leave us ignorance. He calls us to exercise our minds. Yes, he does that. However, as to your natural sense of things and the way that you think they should be, you need to say no to it. You need to deny it and let him lead you. He's a sure guide, an infallible guide. Commit yourself to him and you will not fail to attain to the banqueting house. There's the guide. We've seen the house, the guide, and then thirdly this evening, the banner. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. This banner should make us think about the title above Christ's cross. 
We desire to partake at the table of the Lord. We want to come to his banqueting house and we want to have his banner of love unfurled over our heads. Consider that Jesus Christ was crucified under a false and spiteful accusation in order that you might sit down in his banqueting house with a banner of love over your heads. What a privilege and purchased at what a cost. This banner of Christ's love, it is a visible banner. It is openly displayed. Now, if a banner is anything, it is lifted up and shown forth openly. Otherwise, it's of zero use as a banner, flag, etc. Jesus Christ is not ashamed of his love to you, believer. Now, we can actually almost be ashamed of how he speaks to us about his love. And particularly, we, we come, encounter that when we come to this book of the Song of Solomon. The language that the Lord uses is overwhelming. It brings on a kind of holy blushing. But that is because of the openness of the love of Jesus Christ to his spouse. Chapter 4, if we begin to meditate upon it. Here is how Jesus Christ lifts up that banner before the whole world. And he puts it in the Bible and tells everyone in the whole world, whoever hears the Bible read or preached, he tells the whole world about his love for his spouse, and he's not ashamed to say it just outright. He says, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof every one bear twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. In verse 7, he actually says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Now, we've all encountered a young man, and he's taken away by a young woman. And it's a very wonderful thing to behold, but we also have this little grain of salt in our minds and we realize, well, he's very young and his, you know, his enthusiasm is outrunning sobriety and maybe he's going over the top. However, it's not that way with Jesus Christ. And I'll prove it to you. When the Lord Jesus Christ says this about his spouse, he is dead serious. In fact, I mean dead because he was willing to die for this spouse that he's talking about. And he knew everything about the sins of his bride. And he died for her. And he washes her. And she is precious in his sight. Is this not amazing? That in the preaching of God's word, that Jesus Christ is speaking to sinners whom he loves. And so when I come to you and I'm preaching, I'm just the letter carrier. I'm carrying to you, believer, love letters from the heavenly husband who is wild about you, 
He's ravished by you. One look of your eye to him. It carries away his heart. However big of letters I can use to unfurl that and hold that forth, the love of Jesus Christ to his own, he is not one ounce ashamed of how much he loves you. He's even given you a love token. Behold his banner of love in that. A sacrament. A token of his dying love. People who are great, they find ways to be remembered. And perhaps they make a statue that is going to be made. And the statue depicts them standing in their strength and looking noble and intelligent. Our Lord Jesus Christ has left behind him in this world one memorial of himself, and it has to do with him dying, with him being crucified, with his blood and his body being separated by a violent death underneath of the curse of God. This is how much he loves you, is that he shows forth his love, the most eminent degree of his love is in his dying for his saints. He unfurls that, unfurls that, the death of Christ is showed forth by us until, we, until he comes again. What a thing this is. His banner over me was love. A visible banner. Now if Christ is not ashamed of making his love to you known, don't you be ashamed of him. Don't you be ashamed of loving Jesus Christ. In fact, this is the only way to be sound, healthy, and sane. Oh, that someone might say about us that he has only one desire, one passion. He is a man. She is a woman of one thing. It's open and evident that all the love of his heart, of her heart, is for Jesus Christ. You can read it like an open letter. Oh, that the Lord would give us such love as that. Because he has a visible banner. He also has an attractive banner. And his banner over me was love. This is how he brings the believer into his banqueting house. He brings the believer through unfurling this banner over his head, this banner of his love. There's some, the, even this imagery of a banner, a standard or an ensign, as we sometimes have the word in our Bible. It is a rallying point. In the book of Numbers, you'll read about the standard of the camp of Reuben and so on. That's the rallying point where the tribes that are associated with Reuben are gathering around underneath of the standard. They're getting organized. They're coming together. And then when the camp sets forth, they set forth when the standard sets forth. And we have Christ himself called an ensign or a standard just a few pages over in our Bibles in Isaiah 11, verse 10. And in that day, 
There shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Jesus himself is this banner, this ensign, which attracts and draws. Did he not say, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself? You see, Christ so much desired that his spouse would have the banner of his love lifted up, that he was lifted up. He himself was lifted up. Behold, love lifted up as if upon a standard, as if upon a pole in Jesus Christ and his cross. There is love covered with flesh. There is the demonstration of God's love towards sinners. The cross of Christ. Let that be an attractive banner to you. Let it draw your hearts. It can be hard to eat sometimes. In fact, Proverbs 23 tells us that it shouldn't always be easy for us to eat. It says, if the ruler invites you to his house, and if you're given to appetite, then put a knife to your throat. And then a little later, it says about the man who's your host, he says, eat and drink but his heart is not with thee. So there are circumstances where someone invites you and brings you into their house and they say, eat, eat, but they really, they have something else going on. They want to flatter you. They want to trap you. They are going to later come back and say, do you know how much, how greedily he ate of my things? Something like that. People are duplicitous in these ways. But our Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. You see, he brings his believing people to his banqueting house so that there, you should not set a knife to your throat when you come into this banqueting house. You should not be anxious and wondering, does Christ really want me to eat of the fat things of his house or not? Is he, is he about to rebuke me if I take too much? Never. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, how did he provide the wine of this banqueting house? He gave his heart's blood to be your wine in his cup. His heart is with you. He says, eat, O friends, drink, ye drink abundantly, O beloved. My banner over you is love. Sit down in peace without fear and feast your soul upon what I have provided. This is an attractive banner, but it is also, thirdly, a military banner. And I mentioned that a little before. In the book of Numbers, these standards that we meet of, that we read about, they have to do with the camps of the hosts or armies of the Lord setting forth. So this banner, his banner over me was love. This means, in effect, you don't belong to yourself anymore. I have conquered you. I have conquered you by my love. I am the captain, and you will follow me, and you will march underneath of my banner. It is love by which 
Christ constrains his soldiers. There's no other captain like that. Captains compel their soldiers by bare authority and by fear. Not Christ. He constrains his soldiers principally by love. And so the answer of the believing soul should be, I am constrained by thy love. I will fight under the banner of Christ. He will be the captain, and I will fight the good fight of faith. And no one has ever been to the banqueting house who's not willing to fight for Christ. You see, that's the result. That's the fruit. Coming into Christ's banqueting house, being refreshed by him, then I will fight. I will stand in his cause. And if I'm injured, so be it. If the fight is lonely, if there aren't other people contending with me, then Christ's love is mine. And that's enough. If he approves of me, if he sees what I'm doing, fighting and contending for something precious to him, his banner over me is love, then I will fight on contentedly. What if the battle is long and weary? If there's battle after battle after battle in this warfare, then I will continue contentedly fighting under Christ's banner because I know what I'm advancing towards. Because I know that the fight is victorious. That he is lifting up this banner of his love and he's not ashamed. And if I were to be overcome and destroyed in fighting the good fight of the faith, that would bring shame on his name. But he won't let that happen. He is the victorious captain. He is leading me into the banqueting house. And if there's a fight on the way there, then... I'm content. And if the fight is deadly, if I die, then I am not afraid. Do you remember how in Hebrews 12 we read, you have not yet resisted unto blood in your warfare against sin. Here's the thing. We need to be willing to die for our Lord Jesus Christ. If what I've said is true, if there's a banqueting house in heaven, And if his banner over us is love, we need to be constrained by that love and fight for him. Oh, that we would be renewed in this, that we would be given to be militant Christians. There is a kind of softness that's unbecoming to a Christian, unbecoming to someone who's been in Christ's banqueting house. We need to say, here are deadly lusts. I am going to slay them. Here are patterns and habits and so on that need to be changed. I know they're not right. I'm going to stop excusing them. I'm going to arise in the strength of the Lord and make new paths for my feet. Because I don't belong to myself. I'm a soldier of Christ. My life isn't mine. My life is going to be laid down. And I know that he loves me, that he loved me unto death. He's feasted me with the taste of his wine. I was bound for the house of all living. I was bound for the grave. I was bound for hell. And he brought me to his banqueting house. And I'm not my own anymore.
I will fight for him. May the Lord give us such a heart. The Lord bless these things to us from the preaching of his word. Amen. And would you stand with me as we pray? O Lord, our God, who has given forth his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has told us of the banqueting house, give to us an appetite, a desire to be there. But how can we come there except by the guidance of him that brings sinners to his banqueting house? We do commit ourselves to him to be led in his way, though it be a narrow way, and we do yield up ourselves to be no more our own, but to be constrained by his love and to fight under his banner. So bless us that these things would not merely be words, but that they may be realities in our life and practice and experience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.